Thank you, Sean, for reading our scripture tonight, and thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here this evening, and uh, it's good to see each and every one. I know our numbers are down, and with the rise in COVID cases, I suspect that we'll continue to decline for a period of time, but hopefully and prayerfully be back to normal again in the very near future. At least that's our prayer, for sure. I've had enough of this stuff. And uh, appreciate Brother Billy leading our singing today. And thank you for all the blessings that, thank you for all the blessings that we enjoy together as a corporate body of people. I think about what a rich, what a rich blessing it is to be a Christian and to be a member of the church right here at Olive Branch. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We would be more than happy to have you come and be a part of our family. Again tonight, I apologize for the quality of my voice. It hasn't improved at all, and uh, I was hoping for maybe a little bit of improvement, but nonetheless, it is what it is. And as I said this morning, again, another disclaimer, I did get tested for COVID just in the event you're thinking. He is a walking, talking plague. Well, I've got the paperwork. If you want to see it, I can furnish it. We're looking tonight at Galatians chapter 5. We're going to really break this lesson down into a couple of parts. As I thought about this lesson, really, you can't do justice to this text in one lesson, two lessons. It would really be better to look at each and every quality spoken of by Paul in Galatians chapter 5. But for tonight, we're just going to look at a couple of the qualities that are spoken of in verse 22. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up and conclude this study because next week we'll close out the year. And then you remember January 1, when we begin the new year, we're going to be looking at key chapters in this next year. And I know Jared mentioned to me, we made it a point to try to memorize the key verses. And to those of you that have memorized those verses, we applaud your efforts. We appreciate so much you taking the time to memorize those verses but Jared pointed out, we're not asking people to memorize a whole chapter. Now, if you want to, that's your business. We'd love to have you do it. But we're not asking you to do that. But we do encourage you. We have a list that is in the foyer. Take the time to get the list and read ahead. Read and study the chapter so that you'll know what we're going to be talking about the week ahead. As we look at Galatians chapter 5, Paul here talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The Christian life is really, in many respects, about attitude and actions. What we think and what we do says a lot about who we are. And so, as was said in the prayer just a moment ago, we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. What the Lord wants of us is to internalize His Word so that we might live it out in our daily lives and thus ultimately not only be a blessing to others, but I think we will reap rewards as well. And so if you were to think about your life tonight as a garden, you know, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus talked about the seed of the kingdom being the Word of God and that seed finding a home in various types of soil. And then the analogy was that the seed would fall into different types of human hearts. Only one human heart based on what Jesus had to say, ultimately yielded fruit. Our goal is to yield fruit for Christ, isn't it? 
We want to live in such a way so that people can see, as Paul said, Christ living in us. So one of the ways that we do that is we take his word and we live it out on a daily basis. In John chapter 15, you remember Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. The Lord is interested in us bearing fruit for the kingdom. Now, the way we live ultimately is to bring honor and glory to God, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3 that the church, the church exists to bring honor and glory to God. That's where God's glorified. And so those of us who belong to the body of Christ, that's our intent or goal. That being said, let's look at some of the different characteristics that are spoken of by Paul. And Paul begins by saying, now the fruit of the Spirit, first and foremost, is love. The word for love in this text is agape. Now there are different types of love, as you well know, in the Greek language. But we're talking about the highest form of love here, agape. That is sacrificial, self-giving, the emptying of oneself. Did Jesus not demonstrate agape love in his ministry. He did. On a number of occasions, we read of Jesus emphasizing the importance of love. For example, in John chapter 13, Jesus is about to leave the disciples. As a matter of fact, the cross is looming before him. And so in John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Now let me ask this question. Were the Jews of old, had they been taught to love one another? Did they know anything about loving their neighbor? Well, the answer would be yes. They'd been taught to love. But what Jesus is saying is that I want you to demonstrate love on a higher plane, a higher platform. I want you to love as I have loved. Now, think about this for a moment. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and about verse 8, God is love. God is the very epitome of love. His nature, His character is that of love. And so our goal is to become God-like, isn't it? So if we're going to become God-like, then we've got to learn to love as He loves. Now, John said in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. We know something about love because Jesus demonstrated the depth of love in going to the cross, didn't he? Listen to Jesus in John chapter 15. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Think about the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When he said, when we, were, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. So the very nature of God is love, and God has demonstrated that love to us. He has declared his love for us over and over again. But the demonstration of that love, for example, in verse 8 of Romans 5, God 
commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's on that basis that John said we love him because he first loved us. You mean to tell me that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? Isn't that what Jesus taught? And didn't he say this is the first and great commandment? To love God with every fiber of our being. And that's a tall task. So you think about loving God, but then to love one another. To learn to demonstrate agape love toward one another. I said a minute ago, Christianity is about attitude and actions. It's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk, isn't it? So you think about the love that the Lord demonstrated toward us. And Paul in Galatians chapter 5 is saying that we're to learn to be people of love, to love God, yes, to love our neighbor, yes, to love ourselves, of course. But what does it mean to love others? What does it mean to demonstrate the same level of love as the Lord? Let me direct your attention to Matthew chapter 5. You remember in Matthew chapter 5, we have what is typically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And I think one of the keys to Matthew chapter 5 is when Jesus said, But I say unto you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees were noted for what? Jesus denounced them. In Matthew 23, a series of woes directed toward them because he said, they say and do not. What Jesus wants us to do is to demonstrate genuineness in our walk with him, doesn't he? So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you've heard that it has been said by them of old time, you're to love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But Jesus said, but I say unto you, Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father which is in heaven, who makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, who sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And then listen to this. Jesus asked this question. I want you to think about this question over the next few days. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what, re- what reward do you have? And he asked this question, do not even the tax collectors the same? What do you think Jesus is saying there? It's easy to love people who love you, right? It's easy to love people who are kind and generous and, and benevolent towards you. But what about when people aren't so kind? What about when people are working against you to undermine you, who assault you verbally on a regular basis, who are doing everything within their power to bring you down? How then do you react? How are we to react? Somebody says, well, you know, that cuts against the grain. That's exactly right. Why? Because that's what Christianity is about. The world is going downstream, and we're moving upstream, right? 
We're not like the world. So you think about Paul here. Paul is saying the fruit of the Spirit is love. To learn to genuinely love one another. Now, listen to Jesus in John chapter 13. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? If you have love one for another. I want to ask you a question. When you look at the world around, around you, do you see people, by and large, who genuinely love and care for one another? Do you see people who are compassionate and kind? Now, many of us, we know people like that, and we're grateful for them. Many in the church, some not in the church, but they still demonstrate a kind, benevolent, generous, loving attitude toward us. But by and large, in the world, what do you have? Hatred and strife and fighting and bickering, unrest. So what if that same atmosphere were carried over into the church? How attractive do you think the church would be? If, if the church is comprised of people who haven't learned to demonstrate love for one another, and listen, it all begins by learning to love God, doesn't it? If we love God, didn't Jesus say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? So if we, if we as God's people genuinely love one another, will that not attract people to Christianity? Will it not compel people to say, you know what, whatever you have, I want it. I can tell you, based on experience, there have been times here at Olive Branch because of certain things that have unfolded, tragedies that have occurred, things that have taken place, and members here have rallied around families that are hurting, families that have lost loved ones. And people on the outside have looked within and they've said, there's something special here. When people come into, when people come into a congregational setting, they can tell whether or not we get along with one another. They can tell whether or not we love one another. It's either genuine or it's not. Now listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter said that we're to love one another with a pure heart fervently. The Hebrew writer said that we are to love, we're to let brotherly love continue. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, love the brotherhood. We love the brotherhood at large, but we also love the church. And we love those outside the church, don't we? We ought to love them as Christ loved those around him. Second thing, Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, but the second characteristic is joy. Now in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about joy. For example, in verse 11, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. There's a difference in happiness and joy, isn't there? You know, happiness is dependent on happenstance, circumstances. There are a lot of folks in the world today, their happiness is based upon circumstances or conditions. 
And you well know that circumstances are not always in our control, are they? There are things that happen in life that we have no control over. So our mood, our happiness, dependent on what's going on around us. When Jesus said what he did about joy, that our joy might be full, listen to Paul in Colossians chapter 3 in verse 15. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 15 talks about, well, I take that back. I should have said in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, he said, I say, rejoice. The joy that we have in Christ, as one writer said, is immovable and unassailable. What do you mean by that? The internal joy that we have in Christ is not dictated by external circumstances. Do you remember Paul in Philippians chapter 4? Said in the long ago, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. Paul had learned that godliness comes with contentment. Now, you think about joy, happiness. Happiness being dependent upon circumstances. But as a child of God, we have this deep-seated joy in Christ, don't we? Look at it from this perspective. There are some things that the world can take from us. There are things in life there are things in life that sometimes we have no control over, our health. Economically speaking, sometimes there are reversals, the loss of a job, etc. Joy does not mean absence of problems in life. So there are things that can be taken from us, but the relationship that we have with God is rooted in Christ. Could we give it away? Yes. Could we walk away from our relationship with the Lord? Absolutely. But you think about the relationship that you have with God. The promises that God has made concerning the forgiveness that you enjoy. The cleansing of His blood. Pardon from sin. Can anybody undermine you and take that from you? If you're walking in the light, as John talked about in 1 John chapter 1, John said, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, he said, the blood of Christ is constantly cleansing us from all sin. As long as we're living in harmony with the will of God, we have that promise, don't we? Does that not bring abiding joy in our lives? It ought to. You think about the hope that you have beyond this life. At some point in time, whether we like it or not, we're going to leave this world. It's fact. Might be sooner, might be later. But we will leave this world. And yet, as a child of God, don't we have the promise of life eternal? Can anyone... Take that from us? 
Not as long as we depend upon the Lord and not as long as we live anchored to Him. Think about Jesus in John chapter 14. In chapters 14 through 16, He is specifically talking to the apostles. He had just said in the end, at the latter part of chapter 13, He's going to be leaving them. And Peter says that he's willing to die if the need were to arise. So you come to chapter 14, and then you hear Jesus saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. When we come to the end of the road here on earth, let's just say hypothetically that we know we're terminal. We're dealing with a cancer or some other type of disease. And we know our time is short. And all the things that we've collected and all the things that we've accumulated in this in this short period of time. How much do you think that's, how much satisfaction and joy do you think that's going to bring us? We're leaving this world. All of the comforts and things that we have in this world will be left behind. We're looking out into the future, aren't we? Our hope is anchored where? In the Lord and in His promises, right? And so as a child of God, Jesus is saying that your joy may be full. I know I'm leaving this world, but guess what? I'm going to a better world, to a better place. John talks about that place in Revelation chapter 21, chapter 22. A place that is free from the heartaches and trials and tribulations of this life. Third thought, very quickly. The third characteristic that Paul discusses is peace. In Colossians 3, verse 15, Paul said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In John chapter 16, verse 33, look at that verse with me very quickly. Listen to what Jesus said. These things I've spoken to you, that you may have peace. Now listen to him. He said, in the world you have what? Tribulation. But listen to him. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When we obey the gospel of Christ, we enjoy peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, Paul said, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we have peace with God, but Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, we have the peace of God. Now, think again about what Paul said in Colossians 3. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Do you enjoy the peace of God in your life, really and truly? Do you have genuine peace in your life? 
A lot of things are going on in the world. A lot of trouble, trial, heartache, worry, anxiety, unrest, the unknown. You think about all the things that are going on and all the fears and all the anxieties. And you're telling me that I can have peace as a child of God? That I can have the peace that passes all understanding? Paul said we can. How can as a child of God, now think about it, Paul's saying here in Galatians 5 that we are developing a garden, if you please, in our lives. What we're trying to do is bring that seed to fruition, to bear fruit. Some of the characteristics that Paul is talking about here, some are maybe easier to come by than others. Some things are more difficult to get a handle on. And yet, Paul said, we're to be people that demonstrate peace. So how do we do that? How is it that in a world of trouble and trial and the unknown, how in the world can we have peace? I think the formula is very clear. In Philippians chapter 4, listen to Paul. Paul said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. One of the greatest resources that we have in life is prayer. Prayer. Why do you think Jesus said that men ought to always pray and not grow weary or not faint? Didn't Jesus say in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation? Tribulation and peace, do they go together? They're not synonymous, are they? And yet Jesus is saying that we can have peace. And Paul is saying, okay, if you want peace in your life amidst the anxieties and worries of life, and we all have them, Paul said, you need to, you need to understand the resource at your disposal. It's prayer. Because in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, and by the way, Paul wrote the commandments of the Lord. Paul is saying that peace is a real probability in life. When Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, where, where was he? Do you remember? He wasn't at the Hilton, nor the Marriott. He was in prison. And you think about all the trials and tribulations and anxieties that Paul faced in this life. Paul practiced what he preached, didn't he? Listen to him in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul said, the Lord is at hand. I think what Paul was saying there is the Lord was by his side. 
He enjoyed the presence of God in his life. So if we develop the quality of peace in our lives, if we're to develop that quality, don't you think to remember that God's presence is with us always, that that will be contributory to peace? To remember that we have the privilege of prayer, that that too will be contributory to peace? That's what Paul said. Maybe the real question is, do we believe what the Bible says? Do we really believe it? Now, we're not just talking about theory here. This is real, practical information. And what Paul is saying is, in Galatians chapter 5, that if you'll take these characteristics, if you'll take that seed, deposit it into your heart, and begin developing that seed, nourishing that seed, watering it, caring for it, what's going to happen? It's going to bear fruit and blossom, isn't it? And if it does that, will your life be bettered? Yes. Where does it begin? With love, followed by joy and peace. Tonight, what about your life? Do you have love, joy, and peace? Do you have the peace that passes all understanding? If not, if you're not in Christ, why not come to Christ tonight? Paul tells us how to get into Christ. Galatians 3, we're baptized into Christ. We put Him on. It's in that context that we enjoy forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God and to hear Him say to us one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what life's all about? To live life to its fullest and one day to stand before God and to be ushered into that home in heaven? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ. If you're here tonight and you are a Christian, but you need prayer. Maybe you haven't been faithful. Maybe you're dealing with problems and trials in your own life and you don't have the peace that passes all understanding and you want it. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.